0: Top stories of the week. Two weeks until the election and everything and everyone hates it. Also, America goes from war on drugs to war on terror to war on women's wombs. And who will save the ham sandwiches? This is News Weekly. And is it weird that I'm more attracted to Amber Heard now? Hello, I'm Sami Shah, and this is News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines weekly. Two more weeks of this shit news now. The Australian federal election is still 17,893 years away, or so it feels. It's actually two weeks away, but at this point, everyone in Australia feels the same way about campaigning as I do towards vegan sausage sizzles. Apparently, it's a thing that needs to happen from time to time, but the faster it's over, the sooner we can all move forward with our lives. That analogy doesn't work, but, you know, you get the point. The closest thing we got to a break was when Anthony Albanese, the opposition leader who thought putting on glasses would somehow give him more personality and charisma like a reverse Clark Kent, announced that he was isolating for a week due to COVID. This, of course, was the perfect opportunity for Prime Minister Scott Morrison to show his sense of compassion by wishing his opponent well and a speedy recovery which was obviously too much to ask for. He's had a pretty quiet week. Uh, I remember when I was in nice I had a very busy week. Scott Morrison there referencing the only busy week he has had in his time as Prime Minister so far. Much like the many comedians who also caught COVID during the Melbourne Comedy Festival, Albanese recovered and returned to work. Although he didn't miss out on any income from ticket sales, because there's a lot more job security in politics than there is in the arts. Back on the campaign trail, Anthony Albanese once again discovered that the Australian press thinks election campaigns are when candidates are expected to memorise everything and regurgitate it like a game of jeopardy. It started on the second day of campaigning, when Anthony Albanese couldn't remember the national unemployment rate. What's the national unemployment rate? National unemployment rate at the moment is, uh, I think it's 5.4, sorry. I'm not sure what it is. Sensing a new drinking game afoot, soon, journal- soon journalists were pop-quizzing politicians with all the eagerness of an Asian parent testing their kid on the multiplication tables. Adam Bant of the Greens party wasn't having any of it, however. What's the current WPI? Google it, mate. Since then, Anthony Albanese has had enough time to learn his lesson and know how to deflect these silly questions and keep the focus on Labour policy, like announcing Labour's six-point plan for the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Yesterday, you talked about Labour's six-point plan. What are the six points? The, the six points are what we will do in terms of... was outlined by Bill Shorten. What that's about is making sure... What 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 that's about is what make the six what, points, Mr sorry, Albanese. Let me answer the question. What that's about is making sure that we take pressure off people who are at the moment having their programs cut. Easy. What are the other five Mark, points, Mr Albanese? We, we, no, we Mr. will Albanese, put people. It you, is all around are, the are theme are of Mr. Albanese, putting people. Albanese, putting people. Albanese, putting people We will put people people at the centre of the NDIS. Is this a sign that you don't don't know how one of your policies is? Are these the six points here here that have to be handed to you by your advisor? That's not right. It's on camera. I think he's ready to be Australia's next Prime Minister, given that he's already as bad at his only job as all the other recent ones have been. Scott Morrison hasn't been sitting idle either confronted time and again on his failure to implement a federal independent commission against corruption, going so far as to claim... But Scott Morrison had already doubled down in a newspaper interview, claiming the unintended consequences of an ill-thought-through integrity commission are very dangerous and warning it could make Australia some kind of public autocracy... Even ABC's 7.30 report couldn't figure that one out. It is still unclear precisely what Scott Morrison actually means by the term public autocracy. His team did not respond to 7.30's request for clarification, but the phrase sounds scary. And quite a few people think that's probably the point. I looked it up and the dictionary says an autocracy is, quote, a system of government by one person with absolute power. So, a public autocracy would be a system of government in which the public holds absolute power? Democracy, by the way, means, quote, rule by the people. Or, another way of describing it would be, a system of government in which the people hold absolute power. You know, so therefore, another name for democracy would be public autocracy. So Scott Morrison basically just warned us that a federal anti-corruption commission that would investigate corruption in politics is by definition democratic and he thinks that's a bad thing. The real drama of this election hasn't been over Liberals versus Labour, though. In fact, it's about the rise of what are being called the Teal Candidates, a new crop of independents who are running in what has long been considered safe Liberal Party seats, many of them running on climate policy agendas. All around the country, inner-city liberals are under attack from the so-called Teal Independents. There are already four independents in Parliament who are odds-on to be returned. And in every mainland state, independents are mounting serious challenges in inner-suburban Liberal seats that have long been considered safe, especially in affluent traditionally conservative parts of inner-Sydney and Melbourne. Now, many people would think more independence is good for democracy. More candidates means more choice. More choice means better competition between the candidates. It's literally two of the founding principles of capitalism. Competition and the freedom to choose. In case you don't know, the other principles of capitalism are... Poor people are poor because they're lazy, rich people should never pay taxes, and any criticism of the capitalist system is automatically communism. Being locked into a two-party system where you're forced to vote between shit and shitter each time isn't great, and the independence could, in theory at least, allow for more leverage and voice for sections of the public that normally lack access. It's been one of the reasons why Jackie Lambie's proven so popular. Her ability to negotiate for her voters with the Liberal Party and still be courted by them has been so effective that pauline Hanson hates her and kind of wishes she could be her the thing is i am shocked absolutely shocked and disgusted with the liberal party that in tasmania without even debating or or negotiating with jackie lambie had put her on the senate ticket not one nation this is jackie lambie who hates their guts who will not work with them? They've said she they can't work with her. She votes most of the time with the Liberal with the Labour and the Greens, and yet they're preferencing her above one nation. She treats them badly and they still love her. Maybe that's what Pauline Hansen's been trying with immigrants and anyone not white this whole time. Treating us mean to make us keen. Except she can't understand why it isn't working for her as well it is for Jackie. You'd think the capitalist competition and choice approach would be embraced by the Liberal Party and its media wing Sky News. Not so much. This group of fake independents will probably fool plenty of voters at this election. They may even hold the balance of power and run this country into the sewer because of their useless and obsessive attempts to save the planet from Australia. And if you think that sounds hyperbolic, here's Prime Minister Scott Morrison talking to his alleged dogminder Chris Kenny. Don't vote for the anti-liberal candidates because they're anti-liberal. Isn't that why people are voting for them? Because they don't want to vote for the liberals? Does Scott Morrison just not understand how voting works? Therefore they are fake independents and they're deceiving voters. Well of course they are. Of course they are. Chris Kenny isn't the only one barking up that tree. Here's former underwear model and Onion enthusiast Tony Abbott. They're basically labour in disguise. That's what they are. So be under no illusions. This is a false flag operation. He was speaking to Peter Credlin, who then went on to say this with no sense of shame whatsoever. Why these Climate 200 guerrilla games matter is not just that Liberal seats could fall, but the Liberal campaign hardheads will waste time and money trying to hang on to electorates that, by right, shouldn't be at risk. By right? You aren't supposed to say that part loud. That's as stupid as saying, oh, uh, um, I don't know, like, uh, like an anti-corruption body is bad because it's too democratic. Only a fucking idiot would say that. Speaking of fucking idiots, here's Chris Kenny again. They will plunge Australia into the riskiest, parliamentary experiment in modern history at perhaps the most ominous period in our nation since the second world war. They're independent candidates pushing for better climate change policies and more anti-corruption measures. Is Chris Kenny confusing the second world war for the great emu war? Although actually we lost that one too. Hmm. Even Treasurer Josh Frydenberg has to fight for his seat. Initially, he was claiming he had the numbers to win, but then he remembered that time he miscalculated the cost of JobKeeper by $60 billion and decided he might have to put in some work after all, and debated the independent candidate Monique Ryan, who's running against him. The debate took place in front of a room full of undecided voters who were mixed on who won the debate. I think we're pretty even personally, but yeah, still really unsure. Well, I think in terms of who won that debate, it was pretty clear that Josh is a much stronger candidate. I agree with... uh... Uh, Monique Moore, but I think Josh did speak pretty well. Yeah, I was quite impressed by her. All of which raises the question, who the fuck are these absolute half-wits who still haven't decided how they'll vote? Were the last nine years of the Liberal Party government not enough of an audition? Do you really leave every decision until the last minute? If I wait any longer, I might shit my pants, but I'm unsure about this whole toilet thing still? Just... Two more weeks, then we can stop being disappointed by the election campaigns and just start being disappointed by whoever wins. Who exactly is surprised by this news now? When Americans aren't busy shooting up high schools or creating GoFundMe pages to cover crippling medical bills, they debate abortion. It's been a divisive topic for a very long time, even though abortion rights have been protected in America since 1973 by the Supreme Court decision called Roe v. Wade, which ruled that a woman has the liberty to choose an abortion without excessive government restriction. However, the topic has remained contentious. On one side, there are those who believe a woman has the right to make decisions about her own body. On the other side are the least fuckable people on the planet who cry every time they masturbate, think every cluster of cells is a gift from God unless they personally get a sex worker pregnant, in which case they'll pay for the abortion themselves, and they want every child ever conceived brought into this world, even if someone is raped. But once that child is born, it can go get fucked because they can't believe in doing anything to support the actual living lead a tolerable life. So, you know two sides to the story. Well, it seems the Supreme Court that the Republicans have been carefully stacking with their own preferred judges for years now has decided which side it will sit on. Bombshell the Supreme Court poised to strike down Roe v. Wade. That, according to an unprecedented leak of the justices' draft opinion overnight, a decision would alter the nationwide battle over abortion. The blockbuster story broke overnight on the Politico website, reporting that a draft of the Supreme Court's opinion shows the court Overturning Roe v. Wade in a blistering ruling. Tensions flared outside the nation's highest court after an unprecedentedly! But the bombshell report comes as five states have enacted strict abortion restrictions and sweeping bans, many of them ready to immediately cut off access to care. If the high court does overturn Roe v. Wade, over 20 states are poised to immediately ban abortion. So the court's decision hasn't yet been made official. This is a leak of a draft statement. But if it becomes official, abortion becomes illegal in half the states of America. Most of them the same states that are always warning about Sharia law and the dangers of Islamic extremism. Turns out they were just jealous of how effective Sharia law is at oppressing women. By the way, Sharia law does actually allow abortion up to 120 days after conception and even after 120 days if there is a threat to the mother's health. So, you know, Texas, less progressive than Saudi Arabia. The thing is, most Americans don't actually want Roe v. Wade overturned. When asked whether the decision to have an abortion should be left to the women or regulated by law, 70% of Americans say it should be left to the woman and her doctor. 24% say it should be regulated by law. 6% had no opinion those 6% currently living in Josh Frydenberg's electorate. The Republican Party has taken time out of celebrating their victory over basic human rights by focusing on the leak itself. Here's the senator for Texas and most likely suspect in the Zodiac Killer murders, Ted Cruz. This is as corrosive, as destructive to the Supreme Court as we've ever seen. Here's Senate Minority Leader and petrified penis impersonator Mitch McConnell. The justices must be able to discuss and deliberate in an environment of total trust and privacy. Here's Laura Ingram, Fox News host, and the woman whose brother once posted on Facebook that she was too similar to their father, who he described as a Nazi sympathizer, racist, anti-Semite, and homophobe. It is not up to a law clerk to decide when the decision of the court will be announced. And here's Lindsay Keith, a presenter on right-wing TV news channel Newsmax, who I don't know enough about to make a joke, but I'm sure she's horrible in some fucking cartoonish way as well. This should have never happened. They should be able to make decisions in private, and secret, and then once they're ready to decide and let the country know how that they have ruled, let it out. So basically, they're all arguing that the judges shouldn't have to release their decision into the world until they're ready to do so, and no one has a right to interfere with their decision-making process, especially some random person who doesn't respect their privacy. Huh. Piers Morgan loves putting pigs in his mouth news now. We're living through uncertain times. The pandemic is still going on. The war in Ukraine continues to unfold with horror and tragedy after horror and tragedy. All evidence points towards the climate crisis worsening with unprecedented speed. Poverty, human bondage and basic rights all seem to be worsening, which is why Piers Morgan, the Sky News presenter, most likely to kill Meghan Markle and wear her skin because she ghosted him that one time, is focusing on the most important issue of the day. Primary school children in Australia are being urged to ditch ham sandwiches because of the danger by processed foods. Is that where we've got to now? Really? Ham is the new devil of the school lunchbox? The Cancer Council, whose job is literally to fight against cancer, is saying that processed ham contains elements which could potentially cause bowel cancer. With the Cancer Council urging parents to ditch the Sambo, its healthy lunchbox program sent to multiple schools, warning preservatives could increase the risk of bowel cancer. Piers Morgan, however, isn't having any of this woke bullshit. We've got to stop wrapping our kids so tightly in cotton wool. How are we going to prepare them for the real world when even a humble ham sandwich is deemed a clear and present danger to their lives? That's right. Let kids get cancer so they know how tough life is. Rip off that cotton wool and put them through some chemotherapy. That'll toughen them up. Compared to what I used to be forced to eat at school, this is luxury food up there with caviar and lobster. So I looked it up. Piers Morgan went to school at Kamenur House, an expensive private school where lunch in the 1970s was meat and tater pie, savoury mince and spuds, pudding, sponge and pink custard and jam. It's not just Piers Morgan by the way, New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet is also jumping to the defence of the ham sandwich. Didn't Homer Simpson call the pig the amazing wonderful animal? We all love pigs, Uh, we all love ham. Should you really be using Homer Simpson as a role model? There's a crayon in my brain? That's it for this week's edition of News Weekly. Thank you so much for being patient during all the editorial editions that I've been putting out. Many of you have written how much you appreciated them and liked some of the guests I had on. Uh, it's just been a really busy time with the Comedy Festival, the Melbourne National Comedy Festival just finished. This week I am in Sydney on Saturday, the seventh uh, for one show only for the Sydney Comedy Festival. That's at the Enmore Theatre at 9.30pm. Tickets are available on the sammyshow.com slash shows or on the Sydney Comedy Festival website. I'm also going to be In Perth next week which is going to be a whole bunch of dates that I can't remember anymore but check my website as well as uh, the Perth Comedy Festival website for tickets about that because I'm traveling next week to Perth again On Thursday, I'm not going to be able to do a traditional news weekly, this kind of news weekly next week. So next week is when I will be releasing that extra editorial edition episode featuring my interview with Kylie Moore Gilbert, the writer academic um, who spent two years in a prison in Iran after being falsely accused of being a spy.